Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 156, Myth Movie Night, Song of the Sea. Yes, I'm very excited because we are kind of revamping our Myth Movie Nights to to focus less on the movie itself and more on the mythology behind it. Yes, and we also know that this is a great film and we definitely recommend you rent it. So what we did is we just recapped the plot at the beginning of the episode, but we tell you where it is. So if you want to skip forward about two minutes and decide to watch the movie for yourself, that's the only place where spoilers happen. Yeah, it's exactly two minutes. We count it down. I made Amanda set a timer. And then, uh, and then recap. And I was like, "Uh, it's Irish, and I have a lot of feelings." Yes, but it was a great movie, Julia. I think you did a wonderful job. We really get into the mythology and folklore of the characters we meet, and we would love to know your thoughts about this uh, slightly revamped myth movie night format. Yeah, thank you, Bud. I appreciate that you said I I did good. And you know who else did real good? Is it our newest patrons? Yes, uh, we're actually recording this a little early, so the newest patrons will get a thank you after the Thanksgiving break. But we just want to say we're thankful for all of you. We're going to add special compliments for you next week. We absolutely are. And we are joined this and every week by our supporting producer level patrons, Philip, Julie, Hannah, Alpha Dogs, Deborah, Molly, Megan, Skyla, Samantha, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. Yeah, as well as our legend-level patrons. They are also made of stone in our mountains. Morgan, Emily, James, Be Me Up, Scotty, Audra, Chris, Mark, Ayla, Cody, Mr. Folk, Sarah, and Jack Marie. Indeed they are, Julia. Indeed they are. Will you remind us what we were drinking this uh, this episode? Yeah, so I actually made a cocktail that's kind of uh, inspired by the original cocktail we made for our Selkie episode, the Salty Dog, but I gave it kind of an updated twist. So I added a splash of white cranberry juice to kind of mellow out the grapefruit. And then I also recommend using a smoked gin for this one instead of your traditional floral gins or dry gins. So a really great smoked gin. Uh, you can find one from a distillery called Empire Spirits Projects. It is extremely, extremely good. It's got kind of like a toasted marshmallow meets bonfire flavor, and it's Mm. incredible. All of my favorite things. I'm going to have to make one for myself as I am bringing uh, my holiday reading with me on Mm. my Thanksgiving trip. And top of that pile is the book that I want to recommend this week. It is called Goliath by Matt Stoller. If you're here for the anti-capitalism part of Spirits, this is absolutely the book for you. This is the description that the publisher uh, wrote, which I thought was just so apt. A startling look at how the concentrated financial power and consumerism transformed American politics, resulting in the emergence of populism and authoritarianism. Wow. So uh, Matt has a a newsletter called Big, which is about like, uh, you know, giant colossal companies um, and monopolies. And I have been a fan for I guess like months and months at this point, the book really like gets you there. Like Yvonne, a friend of the show said to me that like every 10 pages, you're just reassessing like everything you think, you know, and it truly is that kind of book. Um, So I definitely recommend it. And by the way, if you want to browse our past recommendations, they are linked to in the show notes of every episode that we recommend stuff in. So you can browse our past episodes really easily on spiritspodcast.com or go to bit.ly slash spirits reads to look at our Goodreads, where we have a shelf of all the books we've recommended. I was just about to recommend the Goodreads. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, what else do we have coming up for our dear, dear listeners? 
Yeah, we have just two reminders for you this week. One is that we are going to be in Austin for a live show on February 27th. So I would love to see all of you there. You can give uh, us hugs if that's your jam. You can take pictures if you want. We can sign your various books and posters, which is so kind. And we're going to do a very fun live show. So we really can't wait. It's also the day before Amanda's birthday. Oh, it is. Yes. That's a multitude.productions slash live. Yes. Buy a ticket. For Amanda's birthday. That's your present Listen, to her this year. I just, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. We can meet some conspirators. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And secondly, that, you know, Thanksgiving means that holiday shopping season is upon us and capitalism uh, is a bummer. But if you do need to, you know, participate in this semi-meaningless exchange of goods, consider doing it for Multitude. So you can get your holiday shopping done now at multitude.productions slash merch. All of our new merch for Spirits, for Multitude itself, and for all the other shows will be shipping in time for the holidays. And also, like, you know, if our merch does well, that means we could have more merch in the future. So, you know, consider buying something. We're working on a few things, but we don't want to make too many new things at once. So if there, you know, is good demand, if those beanies are going well, if they're flying off the shelves, then we'll be able to make new items for you to enjoy in the new year. So please let us know what you think of this new Myth Movie Night. And without further ado, enjoy episode 156, Song of the Sea. So Amanda, we have a Myth Movie Night today. Oh, we do, Julia. Uh, excuse me as I wipe away the, the tears of my sea, because this movie was so moving. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we did a Song of the Sea, which is all about Celtic and Irish mythology. It was extremely good. Uh, I do want to say up at the top here, we're going to be doing our myth movie nights a little bit differently moving forward. Yeah, we love having a glass of wine and like talking about the movie that we saw but we also know that this is our mythology and folklore podcast so we loved trying out the myth movie night format over the last few months and based on the feedback you gave us in our survey which thank you to all you beautiful nerds who filled out our survey we're going to be kind of recapping the plot at the top that way if you want to watch the movie yourself or you don't want to be spoiled you can just kind of skip the first couple minutes of the myth movie night episode we're going to be making it two minutes only so you know exactly how far forward to skip and then we're going to get into just the mythology of it and use the movie as a jumping off point to discuss the mythology of that like story character region whatever it is that we've selected yeah uh so i feel like we should probably switch it off who does each uh, myth movie night. Do you want to try it first or do you want me to go for it first? I will do it. Ooh, okay. I'm going to put a timer on for you then. Two minutes on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. One, two, three, go. So Connor is a lighthouse keeper. His uh, wife is adorable and then of course dies. Uh, so he thinks tragically. And then her two little kids are growing up. She has an older son who is like uh, so, so caring of his little sister, Saoirse, uh, who the mom like had and then left and we think she might be dead, but no, she's a selkie. Don't worry about it. So Ben, the, the kid is like very kind of mean to his sister because he has a lot of grief that he doesn't know what to do with because he's a child. Um, Saoirse, his sister gets kind of, uh, like rambunctious and finds this white seal skin coat 
in her dad's closet. So she puts it on and then just like walks into the sea as kids do. And she's a selkie. Oh my God. She becomes an adorable little baby seal and is extremely adorable. But then their granny who lives in the city uh, and was visiting for uh, her birthday comes and is like, no, this is unacceptable. She can't be doing this. We have to go to the city. Uh, the, the dad, Connor, like throws the coat into the ocean, which please no, Connor, don't do that. Made like uh, Baba Yaga vibes of locking things in chests and throwing them into the sea. And they go to the city. Saoirse gets like sick and Ben realizes that there is something about what's happening, that she needs the coat. She needs to be home. She needs to like go back to the lighthouse uh, where they live, by the way, the lighthouse uh, island. It's very cute. Then they have a bunch of adventures and they run into a bunch of mythological creatures. Uh, they convince a bus driver to, to take two unaccompanied minors onto a bus, which was hilarious. 30 seconds. <laughs> and um, basically they meet this like owl uh, witch mother who not only is trying to like repress all of the selkies and like capture the kind of wills of the mythological creatures around her but she also captured like the emotions of her son the giant upon which the lighthouse stands uh so then they convince her to set them all free they defeat her uh she's a selkie now and lives as a human and done good good job (laughs) there we go All right, that that was pretty good. I think you I think you hit most of the points there. I'll also point out that uh, Saoirse's mute until she gets her selkie skin back and she's able to sing the song of the sea, which brings all the fairies and allows them to leave the human world and yes. go back to the other world. At that point, Julia, I was crying so much that I mm-hmm. was just kind of like in it and not quite it's remembering okay. it. But um, I also want to say I love this movie. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth doing. I rented it for four bucks um, on YouTube and it is absolutely lovely, beautiful, moving. It comes in both Irish and English. Um, for any Irish listeners out there who want to listen uh, to it fully in Irish, the singing was great. The animation is beautiful and like not a style I've seen before. So mm-hmm. two thumbs up. Fun fact, two of the actors did both the English and the Irish version. What talented people. And one of them is Connor, who is played by the actor who is Mad-Eye Moody. Really? Mm-hmm. Fun oh, fact. No. Oh, no, I didn't know that. And in the English version, uh, Brona, who is the mother in the Selkie, uh, she is played by the same woman who plays Blue Diamond on Steven Universe. Adorable. Fun fact. She's she's just sad and Irish in everything she does. <laughs> <laughs> what a mood. Uh, but Julia, I mean, there is so much here to discuss in terms of the creatures we meet along the way and the Irish folklore we get into. So I am just like, I am your captive audience. Like, let's just talk about everything you have to share with me about all of these great creatures. I want to learn much more about them. All right. Where do you want to start? Uh, why don't we start with uh, with Selkies? I know that we've okay. covered them on Spirits before, one of my favorite episodes, episode two. But tell me a little bit more about this idea of like the skin being taken from them or captive. And at the end, something that we saw is a character has to make a choice, going back to our non-spoiler talk, about being a Selkie or being human. So is there kind of origins of like being half Selkie, half human? It, you know, how do people kind of live in both identities? Okay, so this is actually really interesting. So as we've talked about in our like second episode ever of Spirits, Selkies are basically magical creatures. They tend to appear as women with dark hair. Sometimes they're men, though. It depends. Usually they're women, though. They usually have beautiful singing voices. But again, there's not like Selkies aren't connected to a song that affects other fairy folk. Right. So this was like a, a plot device of the movie little play on things it's fine though basically they can transform into seals by wearing a magical seal skin and they appear as human when they take it off so typically in selkie stories a man will steal the selkie's coat in order to make her his wife uh, and then keep her from returning to the sea so she can't turn into a seal unless she has the skin yeah 
the coat they keep saying i keep it in my head i'm like pelt or skin i'm like no that makes it sound worse <laughs> coat is nice though it is the selkie will then bear the man children and usually either she will find the coat herself or her children will find it and then she returns back to the sea sometimes never to be seen again sometimes visiting her children in seal form and then sometimes she'll even take her children back to the sea with her so that kind of plays into the end of this film where she has to make that decision. Nice. I'm curious if you think that Brona was like chose to stay with her husband and then the call of the sea became too much or if you think that Connor stole hers away. I think it's a children's movie, so I don't think Connor did that to her, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely got the vibe that this was like a healthy, loving relationship. And um, maybe so my kind of hypothesis here was that the birth was uh, challenging and maybe she had to go back to the sea to like have her full kind of like faculties and healing um, about her. But no, I definitely got the vibe that she was trying to kind of live this life and then uh, either out of necessity or because, like you said, sort of allure became too strong. Um, she needed to return. Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. And kind of from what we know of the plot explains why Saoirse is half Selkie, but Ben is not. Yeah. Because there is kind of that magical birth that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. And I also wondered, like, where does this where does the coat come from? Like, OK, so an infant is born. Is she born with the coat? Is the coat the placenta? Is the coat like a daemon that like pops into existence next to her? Was she born as a seal in the water, perhaps? And then uh, the mom left her on land and returned to the sea? Yeah, I think it's the, the latter one. I think it's a situation where it's it's not like... You don't think the placenta is a seal skin. <laughs> where did that baby get that skin from? Yeah, you know? yeah. That's not the thing we ask ourselves when children are born. No, that, that's very true. Yeah, I, I have to imagine it was some kind of like either the birth was in the water because it had to be or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, when I was doing my research again, I was looking up like how Selkies are associated with song. And there's a couple of really interesting folk songs about selkies the most popular one being the great silky of sulskeri uh, which is the story of a woman who gives birth to the son of a selkie who then comes to take the child away from her and predicts that the woman will then marry a gunner on a whaling ship who will eventually harpoon and kill both her child and the father while they're in seal form it's oh, very sad that's a very mm. folk song <laughs> <laughs> it's very very sad and it's got like there's some versions of it that have 90 verses Oh, my. Yeah. Great uh, epic poem style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll link it to the uh, the editor notes that we put in for our patrons, but it's very interesting. That's cool. But there there isn't traditionally a kind of like siren selkie tie in here where like the selkies have some kind of song that is like alluring or powerful. No, it's just said that they're beautiful singers, which I think is like alluring on its own, but they're not like sirens in the idea that they call people to them, you know? Totally. Well, let's maybe get into then the other stories that we encounter in this movie. Is there something about Mechlir, the giant who is turned to stone? Of course there is, Amanda. Thank you for Yay. asking. So Mechlir is the ruler and guardian of the other world, Tirnanug, which is, I hope I pronounced that right. Thank you, Celtic speakers, which is also known as the land of the young. So it's referred to as the land of the young because of the fact that MacLear was said to have a cauldron of regeneration that uh, would help keep the Tuatha Dé the the gods of Celtic mythology, uh, from growing old, getting sick, or dying. 
that's some serious stuff. Yeah. So Maclear specifically means son of the sea. So he is the sea god who took over for his father, Lear. Uh, as far as I can find, he's not related to Macha, uh, though there doesn't seem to be any indication that he has a mother in the actual stories that I could find. Right. Um, the story that we specifically see in Song of the Sea is actually one of the stories about Lear instead of Mechlear. It's known as the Children of Lear. So in it, a goddess becomes jealous of the life of Lear, like all of his happy family and his wife and his children. So she turns them into four white swans, which then sing out to Lear and tell him what the goddess has done. And that loss of his family makes Lear mourn, which, as the movie said, makes Lear cry so much that he begins to flood the sea with his tears. Yeah. Wow. It reminded me of a legend I heard about when I was last in Ireland and Northern Ireland of Finn McCool. Have you heard this one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But tell me, tell me it anyway. So it's it's the sort of like origin story of the Giant's Causeway, um, which is a, a beautiful, I think it's a World Heritage Site, but it's like a, a beautiful natural uh, volcanic rock formation um, in Northern Ireland. And the idea is that there was this giant Finn McCool. He was married. And then like Finn McCool gets up to a lot of stuff in uh, in Irish folklore. There is a famous scene where he um, is like dressed as a baby and put in a cradle because he is like in a woman's house he's not supposed to be or someone else comes to like find him. I forget the details. Um, his son, Ashin also like becomes a great poet, which is exciting. But the tie into the Giant's Causeway is that legend has it that he built these, they're like octagonal rocks that are like gigantic tall pillars um, from the seafloor that make a like rock formation above water. It's it's so stunning. Um, but that he built that as a stepping stone like link to Scotland so as not to get his feet wet. Sure. You know, because when you're a giant, the last thing you want to do is get your feet wet. Well, he, he didn't mind getting wet apparently sometimes because he also one scooped up part of Ireland to fling it at like a rival, um, but he mm-hmm. missed, and then it landed in the middle of the Irish Sea and became the Isle of Man. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, MacLear, I think, is actually tied to the Isle of Man. Oh, really? That's exciting. One of his epitaphs, I can't remember exactly which one it is, but he's supposed to be like said to be from the Island of Man. That's awesome. But in this case, he relates to Macha, who is like an owl grandma. Tell us about Macha. Yeah, so Macha we actually discussed when we were doing the Morrigan episode. So she's the goddess specifically associated with land, fertility, war, and kingship because of that story about the horse race and her giving birth. Do you remember this one? Yes, that one I got. Yeah, so she, her husband brags that she's faster than any of the king's horses. Uh, she's forced to race the king's horses, even though she's pregnant with twins. She ends up winning the race, but then immediately giving birth while she's around all these men and she's real pissed about it. So she curses all of the men that made her run that race uh, by, quote, making them feel as weak as a woman in childbirth at their greatest time of need and that the curse would last for nine generations. Hmm. Very metal. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, I'm into it. Matcha, badass bitch. Uh, So in an interview with the creator, though, he said he specifically based her off of Celtic witches that were known as the Kaliuk, or it's Kiak. There's two different pronunciations. I found them both online. I am sorry if one of them is wrong. We're doing our due diligence. These are kind of corrupted versions of the goddess that were instead just like seen as witches. So, uh, however, all of these stories uh, specifically centered around motherhood. So all of these witches were associated with being like crones, but also mothers. That's really fascinating because usually the crone is seen as like a like sexless and like unmaternal uh, woman figure. Yes, uh, I think it's kind of implied. And we see that with the 
association between uh, Matcha in the film and the grandmother character in the film. They're yeah. played by the same person and they're obviously stylized in the same way. Yeah. The Gaelic name for the barn owl, uh, which is one of my favorite birds of all time, by the way, is translated as the night witch. Ooh, that's Spooky. incredibly metal versus the barn owl, which sounds like, you know, the the like domestic, I don't know, house mouse of birds. Which also house mice, very cute, but you they know, are what very can you do? cute. You know, Julia, I do have a little diversion here to tell you, which is uh, as a child, I elected to take more classes on Saturdays, um, which was uh, extremely you've, fun. You've revealed that to me before, yes, but continue. I know, just just for just for the audience. Um, and one of the classes I took was about, uh, I don't know what it was exactly, like maybe fossils or nature or something along those lines, but we dissected an owl pellet, which was yes. fucking awesome. I might have taken that class with you. I think you were there. I remember you really enjoying it along with me. So it could have been, maybe it was like a field trip um, then, but it was fucking metal and I loved it so much. It was very cool. Owl, owl pellets and owl digestion is really, really interesting. Anyway, that's a story for another time and not about Spirits Podcast. In this case, matcha is digesting or not digesting feelings. Yeah. So many of the Celtic witches that are this version of matcha were known as storm hags, which is why we see in the film that the emotions that she is uh, taking in. <laughs> Tag yourself, uh, I'm storm hag. The emotions that she's basically sucking out of these people and turning them into stone are seen as weather patterns, which also so that entire scene made me cry like a yes. fucking baby. I was oh like, yes, I I understand matcha. If I could remove all of my emotions and the emotions of everyone else in the world, that would be lovely. That'd I be know. Great. I was like, this is the central problem of my adulthood. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thanks, matcha. Just making me cry like a little babe. Yeah, I, I am intending to describe this plot to my therapist later today so that I can be like, see, look at me. Yes. And actually, the concept of the fairies turning into stone when matcha drains them of their emotions is based on the belief that the Kaliuk would turn into stone in springtime and then return to their normal form on Samhain in order to rule over the winter months. Julia, it's also me. How do I choose between stone during summer and storm hag? I think I'm a storm hag. How can you? Oh, no. Don't want to be stoned during summer. Stone's so hot during summer. Stone doesn't sweat in summer. I know it does. Stone doesn't sweat, but also hot. Hot, hot, hot. I just don't want to have a body. Think of all that heat and no release. (laughs) I just don't want to have a body, A, most of the time, but B, especially during the summer months. That's okay. That's fair and valid. I'm not going to take that away from you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just finding a lot that's very relatable. The fairies that we see in the movie, some of the few remaining ones, um, probably more inspired by later interpretations of the fae. So like closer to leprechauns than the like shining fair folk of early traditions. Right. Uh, We get that wonderful scene on Halloween where the fae, dress up in costumes and they're able to blend in with the human children which is kind of the whole point of Halloween and Samhain as we've talked about in past episodes. So Samhain is the time where the fair folk were said to be more present in the human world and costumes were originally worn to disguise children from the fairy folk which is why this is a cool little twist because it's all the children wearing it and then they wear it to blend in. It's It's very cute. I love it so much. Yeah, so that's like a majority of the Fae we see later in the transformation of the film when uh, Sirsha is able to release everyone from their bonds on the mortal world. We see them become like more pure versions of themselves, the more like noble fair folk, the kind that we think of when we think of the Fae rather than like the little trickster spirits. 
Yeah, it's definitely sort of implying that like being being shackled to Earth or being in the city is kind of uh, like corrupting them in some way. Yeah. Or that her song like made them into the best versions of themselves. Right. Or just that they've existed for too long like alongside the mortal world yeah i really like that some kind of like like spillage happening there yeah and returning to the other world kind of revives them because of that cauldron of regeneration or whatever yeah i think the only like main character we haven't really talked about in terms of mythology so far is the great shanaki which i was i was researching this and i realized it wasn't a character so much as a shanaki is a storyteller or historian in Irish folk tradition. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, they were typically servants to chiefs of tribes and helped them keep track of the history and other important information for their clan. And then they were called upon to retell the histories through various storytelling methods. So they were basically important keepers of oral tradition. Amazing. Yes, so I'm not sure exactly where the the hair aspect comes into it. I guess when you have an oral tradition, that's harder to kind of pass along. But each hair representing the story of someone or something or a clan, I really like that concept. I love that too. And there's certainly so many examples of uh, using uh, like natural hairs and fibers to make tapestries, for example, that are, you know, keeping track of these stories or to have like different cultures have different kinds of like knotted ropes and other ways of keeping information without necessarily doing a written system the way we know it now. Um, So I just thought it was cool. I'm sure it also indicates that like often it's it's a senior in the community who Mm -hmm. has this kind of knowledge. And so to see it was very kind of like giving me sort of like Hades under world like Cerberus kind of vibes because it was very cavernous and also very sweet like a little bit creepy but very cool you know what it kind of reminds me of yeah the giver that's very true mm-hmm. yeah that book cover I had like the soft cover edition with just like an, an old man with a beard on the front yeah that's true uh for people who don't know the giver Amanda can you give us a brief summary of it oh who yeah um it's a brief world. summary please <laughs> uh it is it is by Lois Lowry and um the world basically there is like one truth teller the seer the giver who knows everybody's occupation that they should have and like their place in life and their fate um and so you're assigned an occupation when you reach whatever the age of majority is like 13 or something um and then you have to kind of like deal with that and the person selected the protagonist in the book the giver is selected to be the next giver and so we kind of see what that means and why exactly this knowledge is held from others and there is like a big twist that's very sort of like futurist sci-fi kind of book even though it seems like mostly a like i don't know like normal town like tale mm-hmm. it, it's actually i re- reread it a couple of years ago it is still like as staggering as it was when i first read yeah. it it is a stunning book. I really, really like it. But the idea of passing down the traditions and memories of a community uh, from like one person to another, I really, yeah. really love that concept. No, totally. Yeah. Oh, man. And then like being able to call upon those uh, stories at will or when needed, like in times of, you know, confusion or uh, dire hope, you know. Totally. Amanda, why don't we uh, take a quick break here? We'll go get a refill and then we can talk about some of the, I don't know, like the implications of the film and whatnot. Our very many feelings. Yes, all of our feelings. All right, let's go. Julia, I am traveling this week for Thanksgiving to beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which is a city I love going to. What I love a little bit less is air travel. It's just sometimes gets 
annoying. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the legroom, as I'm a very tall lady, or waiting in lines or getting up early, uh, there's a lot of stuff that can make your day go a little bit awry. But something I know I can count on on this trip and every trip is my Away suitcase. Away makes thoughtful products built for the way modern travelers see the world. They started by making the perfect suitcase, and they now offer a range of essentials, all of which can help make your travels more seamless and less frustrating. I have extremely high standards when it comes to luggage because I travel a lot and I have tried a lot of different suitcases and backpacks, but genuinely, Away's suitcase is one of the absolute best I have ever tried. They have a really like wonderful, smooth wheels that are like all directional, so you can just kind of like push it and then like glides away from you in the airport, uh, which helps because I have a lot of books that I'm bringing on this trip. <laughs> They are also designed to last a long time. They're durable. They can withstand even the roughest of baggage handlers if you choose to check your luggage. They have a TSA-approved combination lock. They have a great like organization system that includes a pressure pad, compression pad that will help you pack more in the suitcase, and a hidden laundry bag so you can separate your dirty clothes as your trip goes on. Oh, I love separating my dirty clothes. There's also a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So you can test it, travel with it, do whatever you need to do for 100 days, and if you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refunds, no ifs, ands, or asterisks. And the nice part too is Away products are designed to last a lifetime. So if any part of that suitcase breaks, Away's customer service team, who are awesome, by the way, will arrange to get it fixed or replaced for you. And there's free shipping in returns. So really, what else do you need to know? Well, you can actually get $20 off any suitcase or bag at awaytravel.com spirits and use promo code spirits during checkout. Yep, again, that's $20 off any suitcase or bag by visiting awaytravel.com slash spirits and using the promo code spirits during checkout. Thanks, Away. Amanda, the holiday season can be extremely stressful, as you and I both know. You're going to be traveling. I'm going to be cooking dinner for family members. It's going to be a lot. Uh, and the last thing I want is to be kept up at night by the idea that like my potato gratin might not be perfect. Which I totally would be. I know, right? And luckily, Amanda, that's why I use Calm. Because Calm is the number one app for sleep and relaxation. It really can like transform your nights, which means you're less stressed and less worked out during the days. Their sleep stories are fantastic. Like we've said many times on this podcast, it's bedtime stories for adults. Like, wouldn't you want to fall asleep to stories read to you by LeVar Burton or Nick Offerman? I want Nick Offerman to tell me about woodcutting, please. Yeah, love that. So if you go right now to calm.com, that's C-A lm.com slash spirits, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of sleep stories and tons of other content like soothing music, like artists like Sam Smith. Sam Smith is on Calm. I know. Guided meditations, breathing exercises, and so much more. I mean, 60 million people use Calm. Join them today. Get the sleep that you need. Again, that is Calm dot com slash spirits for 25% off their calm premium subscription, which includes unlimited access to calm's entire library and new content is added every week. So you can get started today at calm.com slash spirits. That's calm.com slash spirits. Thanks, calm. Julia, my, my body is not what it once was. We're getting old. As I get older, like I slept on my stomach last night and woke up with a backache. And it was like, why? But something that is actually very seamless about, you know, needing to like adapt to, to new realities for myself is eyeglasses. I at one point did not update my prescription for like four or five years. And it turns out I needed a different kind of prescription. So I'm really glad that I was able to use Warby Parker to update my glasses and get frames that I really felt suited 
with me. They have an online quiz where you answer a few quick questions so that they can suggest some great looking glasses that are personalized to fit your face and your style and a free home try on program. So this lets you order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days with no obligation to buy. I did this after taking the quiz and it was extremely helpful. I ordered a couple of frames that I thought like, I don't know if it's going to work for me. But then when I actually got them on in my house and I could try it on, it was clear that they were like well made. They looked really, really stylish. It was super easy to just pop them right back on in that box and send it back to Warby Parker. And I could ask for my input of my coworkers, my partner and of you. So it was really great to be able to feel like I was making a choice that I felt really good about. Yeah, you know what's cool too, besides the home try-on, which is awesome. If you have an iPhone X, you can actually virtually try on glasses. So you can download the Warby Parker app and then you use their virtual try-on system, which allows you to try on glasses. You can see the color, you can see the texture and see if the size is right on your face, which is always my problem when I try on glasses. I'm never sure if the size looks right. Totally. And I know you are a big fan, Julia, of the blue light filtering lenses. So those are available along with anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings, which come on their lenses already included. And the prices start at just $95 with prescription lenses. That is absolutely killer. And I love the fact that I can get one or two or three pairs of glasses from Warby and have one for home, for work, for my bag. It's wonderful. Head to warbyparker.com spirits to order your free home try-on. Take the quiz to find a pair that is perfect for you today. The Home Try-On program ships to you for free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. So go to warbyparker.com spirits to order your free home try-ons and take the quiz today. Again, that's warbyparker.com spirits to order your free home try-on. So coming back, Amanda, I would really love, and I feel like you're going to have a lot of opinions on this, so I'll, I'll let you just take it away. Um, I would love to talk about kind of the way that the film presents a uh, city versus countryside dynamic, as well as the dichotomy of old Irish lore and then Catholicism religious symbols that we see throughout the film. Ooh, interesting. I didn't pick up as much on that as I was watching, so I'll be curious to hear what you thought um, on the on the latter topic. But I was actually really taken with the idea of different lifestyles being better for different people. So, you know, the granny comes in, um, you know, partly through the film, as I was saying in the recap, and basically says like, hey, kids living on a remote lighthouse um, is not the best for you. I'm going to take you to the city. And that is where you should be. It's what you should be doing. This is how you should dress. This is how, you know, you should be acting the way your life should go. So it definitely does happen. They go from a rural area to an, an urban one. But the part of that I was focusing on was more like, different kinds of of lifestyles are are right for different people and there is no universal should um and you know i'm i'm irish american not haven't you know grown up in ireland and i don't have a ton of family left there but my understanding of where my dad comes from and the culture you know partly that was transmitted to me and my family is very much one of you know don't be out of line this is how a respectable life should go um and don't like fall don't be too eccentric um and i'm sure there's versions of that in in every person's upbringing because part of i guess a parent's job is to like teach your kid how to be uh safe and often being safe means being part of the group but in this case like that's that's what connor wants to do like that's where he's happy that's that's what his uh his version of his what his life should be is and he makes a really nice life for his kids so i i don't know i thought it was mostly like Again, like what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other. And if you have something that really works for you, even if it's different, you know, you owe it to yourself to 
to do what's responsible for you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting. It's almost, uh, I got very much vibes of the grandmother wanting to take the children and bring them to the city as like forced assimilation. Yeah, definitely. In a lot of ways. And uh, and we see that a lot when, you know, colonizing religious forces come into work. And I, you know, I might be projecting, but I, I noticed that in the film, you know, we we see very few representations of Christianity and Catholicism until we reach the city. And then the first scene that we have in the city is in the sitting room of the grandmother's house. And we see a portrait of Jesus on the wall. You leave that room, you see a cross on the wall as well um, as they're following the Fae and they escape at one point. Actually, right before they get on the bus, they stop at the corner and there's a church with a, uh, I think it's a Virgin Mary statue, like overlooking yeah. them. Uh, and then as they're returning back to the countryside, back to the lighthouse, they stop and one of the respites that they have is at a holy well which Ben makes a note of as he's traveling from the countryside to the city. And this is kind of like the central point in between the city and the lighthouse. Yeah. And holy wells are actually really interesting because they are this combination of Irish folk traditions and Catholicism. So these areas like holy wells were uh, pagan sites that held importance to the fairy folk and where people would leave offerings in order to, you know, not have the fae fuck with them. And then when... Christianity and Catholicism were introduced to the areas, those were converted into religious sites. So often holy wells uh, were places that you would worship a fertility goddess, but with the introduction of Christianity, they were then changed to Mary the Blessed Mother. Yeah, man, that's, that is really fascinating. I mean, that's definitely a motif, like no doubt about it. And I think part of this too is that sort of um, majority and like going with the way the majority does. Maybe this faith is really important to the grandma and, and that's just kind of incidental. Um, or maybe the city has those kinds of like centers of, you know, respectability, tradition, teaching, routine. Um, that are lacking in the grandma's mind from the lighthouse. Um, but I, I think that's really fascinating. And I don't know, I have always felt that sort of an elective getting to know about religion is better than something that is forced. But at the same time, I recognize that that is like a, a kind of cultural majority privileged position because I don't come from a world where I need to like defend my faith or practice it in secret or try really hard to make sure that it's like not eroded by active forces working against it. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I just think that it's really interesting to show you know, the cities are places of modernity, so to speak. And so in the case of, you know, Irish religion, modernity is Catholicism. Uh, and the countryside is, you know, you know, if you're speaking from the grandmother's perspective, like backwoods and, you know, reductive, but they they're the ones that are following these stories and actually are in touch with it. And like are interacting with it on a daily basis. Her son literally married a Selkie, so couldn't do that in the city. Those worlds definitely coexist. Like maybe there is an like underground Selkie population in the city that we don't know about. I think that's part of the appeal of genres like, um, you know, like fantasy novels set in cities uh, where we get to see those fantastical elements in a setting that is so um, like almost contradictory, but it shows that, you know, those two things can coexist sometimes uh, not peacefully, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm I think that's a, a really good point to bring up. Yeah, no, I really, really like that. Fun fact. So the shell flute um, that 
they are given by their mother. Yes. One, very cool. Uh, Two, I was doing research on it and came to the conclusion that it's probably an ocarina, which I only thought was a Legend of Zelda thing. Didn't realize that that's actually a thing. but an ocarina is a type of vessel flute, which is basically a really early type of wind instrument, uh, and it can be made out of anything as long as it has four to 12 holes in order to make the notes. Fun fact. That's extremely good. I remember my mom giving me um, a, a conch shell that I could listen to if I couldn't sleep because I, I've been an anxious little blob my whole life. Um, but that, that really hit me hit me right right in the right in the chest there um, because it was so sweet. And like, listen, there's there's a ton of depictions of grief that um, I imagine are, are really powerful for kids who are going through something like that and even for adults. And I feel like I learned a lot about, you know, Ben is mad and sometimes he lashes out, but he's ultimately protective. And when the circumstances get dire, like he, he snaps to action. Um, even though there still is all of this within him trying to be a good big sibling um, to his sister, he still has to kind of deal with acknowledge and like give himself space to feel those things. If he wants to be, um, you know, uh, as, as whole of a person and as helpful of a, you know, protector as he can be yeah we also didn't talk about the dog at all the dog great oh my god no Koo is amazing and and connor too like as a as a father you know he is he is sticking to the world that he knows is best for him and that he wants to show his kids but when his mom is like pressuring him and saying that he's a bad parent i understand why he would acquiesce um but it was just like oh that that final kind of like family reunion where they're all kind of confronting the reality is just so powerful yeah loss and grief are just like so so permeating the story that it it really really hit me many times many separate times in the movie yeah including um you know that matcha lost her son and would rather have seen him kind of like uh made inert than suffer and like you were saying earlier, that is such a relatable uh, impulse, but also something that I find myself like pushing back against all the time. Like, did you want to talk a little more specifically about what that looks like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to it, I I feel like a lot of times for me personally, the way that like my mental health issues kind of manifest are I am either at a zero or an 11, 90% of the time, and there's no in between. I like to say that like, I've never had a hearth in my heart. I have only either burned fast and quick or had it cold. Oh, damn, girl. It's poetic. Yeah. Thank you. I I try to think about it like that. But yeah, I, I think for me, if I had the option to like be able to control what I feel and when, that would be so much easier for my entire life and like mental health and, you know, disability to live like a human. So I really, really related to Matcha in that, you know, she was able to control herself. And we saw that too, even with the the grandmother being like, I'm very emotional right now. I need to go take my medicine. So I calmed down. I was like, Oof, yeah. yeah, girl. Yeah. 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 Oh man, it's it's very different for me, but I, I definitely relate to some of the struggles. Like I feel like my empathy is at 11 at all times like as a kid I, I cried if like inert objects were uh were suffering and like one of my anim- my stuffed animals to like have an even rotation in my bed so none of them got sad um and like that you know my my Roomba is like my cleaning son and if he mm. struggles to get over a threshold I like give him a little help because I don't want him to to struggle but 
in life, like, okay, that's sweet and all, but also it's a form of like respect and love to let people figure out their own problems and to be honest with them. So sometimes, you know, if it's easier to not bring a problem to somebody, I won't bring it to them like nine out of 10 times. But I've had to really start pushing back against that, especially like, you know, as a as an employer um, and like in just adult relationships and friendships, like you need to be honest with people, you need to respect them enough to like give them the full situation and like work with them to figure out what's next instead of yeah. me trying to like preemptively solve all the possible problems that could possibly happen so no one's ever mad at me right um which is not a sustainable way to live not a good way of doing it my friend i and not kind like Like it's not nice you know i I might think it's nice but it's not kind it's not no no and you need to be kind to yourself because like end of the day very few people will you know yeah like i i genuinely believe that there are good people in the world but i also believe that when it comes down to it a lot of people will look out for themselves first and i think that it's only fair to look out for yourself first because end of the day you are what is surviving yeah yeah that's very true also speaking of how matcha and the grandmother are parallels to each other did you notice that in the scene where they're going to matcha's little hut she has a um tv antenna on the top of the house no i did not Oh my god, that's so she cute. She does. It's very good. I, just like the little details. I love that so much. And just like you see the little stone fairies pop up in random places throughout the film. Like there's that one scene where Ben is like, I know where I'm going. We shouldn't follow the weird conch lights anymore. And he leads her into the forest and there's just garbage bags and broken TVs, but also little stone fairies kind of hidden yeah. among them. It's so cool. I really, I really think that... Out of all the things in this film, one, the art style is gorgeous, but two, the little hidden details and showing how the modern world and the ancient world kind of still exist in the same dimension is really, really important and really, really powerful to me. Yeah. And I think that's also a metaphor for kind of acknowledging the things that hurt you because you can like toss as many bags of garbage in the forest as you want to, but there's still the fairies underneath it. And like you can, Mm -hmm. you know, build as many like houses and schools and towns and whatever, but there's still like enchanted waters and fae who live there. And you're still impacted by the like great tides of change that are that are like created by things that are bigger than you like you don't have to believe in a selkie for the selkie song to impact your life at the end of the film um so to me it's like you know putting it in a drawer and shutting that drawer is is not always sufficient and dealing with what's underneath it all um is not regression but it's making sure you're setting yourself up for a a good life going forward yeah. And I love that the movie definitely touches on like generational cultural superstition, you know? Yeah. So like the roundabout, for example, that the fairies live in was probably created because the generations of people who lived there before knew that that was a fairy mound and you don't fuck with a fairy mound. Exactly. So we'll build a roundabout rather than putting our road through here because we don't want the fairy to be upset. Uh, there's so many details. I had to watch this on uh, my tablet, but I'm going to rewatch it on the big screen because it was just stunning. I loved it so much. It was really, really, really good. I'm extremely happy with this film. I think that yeah. it's definitely been the one of the highlights for me for our Myth Movie Night so far. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to continuing to really focus on the you know mythological traditions in future films. Um, thank you for choosing it, Julia, and for teaching me even more about Irish folklore. And listeners, remember, 
stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. At awaytravel.com slash spirits, you can use promo code spirits for $20 off any suitcase or bag. At calm.com slash spirits, you can get 25% off your Calm premium subscription. And at warbyparker.com slash spirits, you can order your free home try-on kit and take the quiz to find a pair of glasses that's perfect for you today. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.